0: Well, last week in church, we looked at and learned about the concept that all people are created equal. And we've associated that traditionally as an American value, something we see in the Declaration of Independence, kind of the premise of the whole country and how it came to be. But when you ask the question, why was that a premise? Why did our Founders believe that all people were created equal. Where did, that, where did that start? We find out that that's not an American value. That's actually a human value. That's a creation value. And America is special not because the people are particularly special or smarter or anything else. America is special because it was it's one governing structure that actually recognized the truth about who human beings actually are. Um, that there aren't, there, aren't, you know, there aren't royal bloodlines of people that are somehow cultivated to be better than others. There's, there's not classes that define where people are and where they have to stay throughout their lives. Instead, all of us are equal before God. And so if you were setting out to build a society based on that premise, uh, you, would, you would draft a document with sort of similar precepts that the Declaration of Independence shows us. So when we celebrated last week, July 4th, We started saying, okay, well, in what way are we equal? And we learned that America doesn't give us our equality. America just recognizes it. America doesn't define our purpose in life. America just gives us freedom to live out our purpose that God has given us to the max. So that's our aim In in this series. We're kind of exploring how really when we think of American values, there's something bigger going on than just America, But then when we come back and we look at the whole picture, it it does help us to be grateful for our country, not in some sort of mindless patriotism, not in Christian nationalism, but instead recognizing that, wow, what America has given you and I, the fact that we're here right now, is an incredible opportunity to live out God's purposes for our lives. And it's up to us to choose whether or not we'll maximize that opportunity or whether we'll let that go to waste a lot of people around the world today and certainly most people throughout world history would have given anything some of them did and have given everything to get the opportunity that you have and if you were one who was born here that you got automatically without ever earning it the ability to have liberty as a protected right in your life okay so there's lots of reasons that we look at the flag and we say wow thank you lord for America." Uh, not because my loyalty is to America, uh, but, but in the sense that I, I recognize we're a part of something bigger. And just like we said last week, if America had to close up shop tomorrow and it was all of a sudden different, well, we would still have the same purpose in life. Uh, we might just have a tougher run at fulfilling it uh, without freedom backing us, all right? So we're going to keep talking about this for a couple more weeks because there are some principles that if we don't talk about them, we'll lose them. And I think we're all feeling that in our society right now, uh, that we can't assume that the next generation, or even that our current generation, that you and I, uh, that that we understand what it is that handed us this incredible gift of liberty, and if we don't talk about it and pass it forward, we will eventually lose it. Now, last week we kind of left it. Remember, with Abe Lincoln and you know, everybody's created equal, and, and here we, it's the unfinished task of like living that out, figuring out how a society actually operates that way. It took our founders, you know, years and years to purge out a whole bunch of the systemic inequalities that were a part of what they were handed, and so eventually slavery gets pushed aside. And still today, we could look around and say we're still wrestling with how we actually all treat one another as equals and how a society can be built in that, in that vein. But it does bring up a really critical question that also in the Declaration of Independence and in God's word, as we're going to see, um, comes to light. It's this question, if we're all created equal, then who is in charge? You think about it, it's actually easier to live in a monarchy. It's not better, it's not more fun, it's not more desirable, but it is easier. Why is it easier? Because it's really clear who makes the rules. It's really, if you don't follow what the king wants, you're done. You're in prison, you're killed, whatever. You're off to the gulag or something. It's, it's easier to kind of define morality and reality if one person's in charge. But when you look around and go, well, wait a minute, I don't have any more right to tell you what to do than you have to tell me what to do. So how do we operate together cooperatively? If we all go our own way, that'll be a disaster. The book of Judges was kind of like that. Remember everyone did what was right in his own eyes and what happened to their society? I mean it crumbled down to like where even even basic morality was just that there was none. I mean it was a disaster. So we know there has to be a system, there has to be a law, there has to be protection offered to one another. But in an environment where we're all created equal, how do we determine that? This problem sort of popped up uh, back in the 1940s at this time, anybody remember what that was? The Nuremberg Trials of the Nazis after World War II. So the, the allied governments got together after World War II and looked at the, the, the Holocaust, the, the, the atrocious, like unspeakable evil that the Nazi regime had perpetrated on millions of people. And it was so inhumane, it was so obviously, glaringly dark and evil to the, to the worst extent possible that everyone knew you know, the, the whoever thought this up, whoever did this, they're guilty, of course they're guilty. That's crimes against humanity itself. But then they go to the courtroom and they have to say why that's a crime against humanity itself. And it got kind of complicated because a lot of people in the courtroom had given up on the idea that God was the moral lawgiver. And a lot of the European countries were sort of, they were, they were operating not as republics based on law, they were operating as sort of democracies based on popular consensus. Well, all of a sudden you look at the, the Nazi war criminal and say like you're guilty of a crime against humanity and they say well no I'm not because I was just following my orders. And it was the law in Germany at that time, I was just applying the law so how am I guilty? And all of a sudden you realize that wow, just having societal agreement about something breaks down as a code of morality because what if all of us agree to do something terrible? Is it then right? Well, no, but on what basis is it not right? So in the Nuremberg trials, they had to do all sorts of gymnastics to figure out how to answer that question. So they appealed to international law and they said, well, the laws of the, you know, all the nations put together uh, supersede your nation's opinion about what was right and wrong. Okay, but that kind of breaks down too eventually, so that didn't, that didn't exactly work. And the Nuremberg trials weren't necessarily that successful at prosecuting all these horrible crimes that were committed because the basis of law felt kind of squishy. Um, and, and it was kind of hard to look at these officers of the Nazi regime and say, you're guilty when they would say, well, I was following orders, like how, how am I guilty? So a little bit of a complicated problem, right? Right. And so then we would say, well, maybe they should have opened up the Bible, which obviously that would have been a great idea. But if you're, if you're in a room full of people who don't believe the Bible is God's word, that's not going to help you that much either. And so what can you appeal to? Like, what is the authority if you don't have an authority? So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And our founding fathers actually baked the recipe in to America's founding of how we answer that question. And speaking of baking, I know some of you caught the little nuance before. It is, we are having an apple pie fellowship right after this. So if you're like, man, I didn't, I didn't expect to come to church and get some sort of history lesson from school, fear not. You're going to have apple pie and ice cream in just like 20 minutes. So stick with me, all right? It's going to be great. Uh, but, but here, this is, this is hopefully that will motivate you to say, you know what? If America could give us apple pie— then there's probably some more things I could learn from America. So we're, we're going to do that here right now. All right, uh, we talked about created equal last week. We're going to talk about the fact that the rights that we have are unalienable, which means that they are built in, they can't be taken away or granted by human authority. You already have them just by the fact that you're a human being. And you say, well, I don't know if I've ever heard that in the Bible. Well, I'm going to show you how we arrive at that premise and why this is so important in just a minute. Uh, why do a series like this in church? I just wanted to review this in case some of you missed Fourth of July and you're like, what are they even talking about? This is, you know, usually we're going through a book of the Bible or talking about Christian living. How did we end up with a flag and a, and a big thing about America? Here's why we think this is really important to address. Our mission and our destiny are intertwined with the nation we live in, so of course we care about it. Uh, the shared ideals that make America are part of our culture, helping preserve and shape those we believe is an opportunity Uh, Just like when you serve people in need, that's an opportunity. When you share the gospel, that's an opportunity. When you can engage as a citizen in a meaningful way, that's an opportunity to bring love and good to your community. So we would take that. I mean, if some countries, they don't have that opportunity, we do. So we want to engage. Um, The third reason is the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Uh, That quote from Edmund Burke that say, wow, if, if the people who have... If the people who believe in what's right don't take action, then who, who's going to take action in their stead? Well, the, the people who believe in what's wrong. Uh, and then number four, if the ideals of human purpose, justice, and freedom are not spoke of, spoken of in church, where will they be spoken of? Um, if you go to school, if you turn on the television, even if you listen to politicians, will you really get... Um, will you get an understanding of why America was founded as it is and what it is that we need to preserve in our culture going forward? Uh, increasingly, the answer to that question is no, uh, you won't find that. You'll either find sort of cheerleading-style patriotism with no content, uh, or you'll find things that are you know, flagrantly anti-American, breaking down, deconstructing all the things that our country is, Uh, Where is the voice that's going to actually explain how this is supposed to work? Say, well, if it's not going to happen anywhere else, it might be left up to the churches to offer that voice. So we're giving our shot at that. And then number five, if we don't lead, someone else will. And if we don't define America, someone else is going to. You and I are citizens of America, which means we get to have a part in defining what it is. Not what it was, but what it is and what it's going to be. You have a part to play in that, even if you're one out of 300 million. Uh, In fact, I was thinking about it, Um, statistically, you're one in a million, you know that? Because if there's 300-something million Americans and there's 300-something people that come to our church, then one out of every million Americans is coming to church here today. Wow, well, that's amazing, right? So you're one in a million, you've only got 999,999 people that you need to bring along with you, and we'll all do our job and everything will be great, all right? So on that premise we'll keep going last week we examined act 17 and we learned that god's purpose for humanity transcends this world so when you see that when you see the transcendent creator god bigger than any government than any human association he made you you are his child that that changes the relationship you have with other people And that's why we're created equal. That's why none of us have, there's no divine right of kings. There's no committee that can tell you your life is worth it or not. Uh, Whether you're an unborn baby or a poor person or a rich person or you're whatever color you are, whatever hair color you have, like none of that matters. If you're in God's image, if you're God's child, uh, then, then, then you're created equal. So... That's an important premise. Here's the next piece of the Declaration of Independence. Boy, we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Say, well, what does that mean? Like, how do we know we have those rights? Rights are moral claims you have simply because you're a human being. So even if you don't have any money, even if you're not particularly healthy, if you're young or if you're old, you still have these rights just because you exist, just because you're a human being. These things belong to you. No one can take them away. People can try to deny them to you. Uh, you know, dictators or whatever can, can push against those rights, but the fact is these are unalienable. They're born into you. Uh, they're part of your definition as a human being. God made you in his image that means something more than just the people group you're a part of or the government that you live under, okay? Um, You and every other human being have rights that exist beyond political arrangement. They predate everything else, going all the way back to creation. And then we know James 1.27, like such a key verse for our identity, um, that because we were made in God's image, Says that this is right at the right at the very beginning. God created human beings in His own image, the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. That is who you are. Long before there was an America, long before there was any government at all, that's who you are. And once you see that, then you start realizing, wait a minute, people don't exist to serve their leaders or their governments. People exist for a different reason than that entirely, and if people organize into groups and governments, those groups and governments ought to be serving the people, not the people serving them. Okay, So this is, the, this is why America was such a big deal in 1776. They were, they were embarking on an experiment of saying, what if, what if instead of figuring out who's the most powerful, the richest, the smartest, and put that guy in charge, what if instead we recognize that everyone's equal? Okay? It's a, it was a really big shift in history and in thinking. Now, we're going to go deep for just a second. So I know for some of you, you're like, man, I already, I, I'm already out of oxygen here. We haven't even started yet? Yeah, that's right. So we're going to go deep for just a second, and I want you to turn in your Bible to Romans 1, because okay? this is where we're going to find... God's word in the midst of all of this history, um, and as you're turning there, I want to show you something that John Locke said. John Locke. Some people think he was he was the legal philosopher who was the most responsible for America's form of government. Now he didn't he wasn't a founding father, uh, he but he was the guy that they all read, and they all their ideas came from him. So if you were to read John Locke, you would you would say, man, this sounds kind of familiar. Because he sounds kind of like America, even though he was before America. That's because a lot of this came from him. And by the way, not just politicians quoted him, but back in the day, preachers quoted him a lot as well. He just had some really amazing ideas about how you put this all together. Uh, Here's a summary of that. He said, the state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone. That is, there's a law that's higher than anybody's opinion. Everybody's accountable to this natural law. Says, and reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. For men being all the workmanship of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master sent into the world by his order and about his business, they are his property. So who's the omnipotent maker we're talking about here? God, right? So he's saying it, there's, there's a law, a natural law that comes from God that's built into the fabric of creation. It's built into you. And, and, when, and when you recognize that, that there's, You can't deprive someone else of their right to health or liberty or happiness or something because you're not, they're not accountable to you, they're accountable to God. He is the maker, he's the omnipotent, he, he's the creator. And so if we're anyone's property, we don't belong to our king or to our master or to a, some government somewhere, we belong to God. And when you get that in your mind, when you realize there's a natural law, there's a God-given order to things that's bigger than anybody's opinion, suddenly you realize that, wow, back at the Nuremberg trial, if they would have appealed to that, they would have had a much easier defense. Everybody knew in their conscience that these people on the the stand were as guilty as human beings could be of awful atrocities. But you're going through all this wrangling to try to prove it. Well, it's obvious, it's self-evident, because they violated natural law, the law and order that God had put into all things. Obviously what they did was wrong. You don't need some legal statute to tell you they were wrong. You knew they were wrong. How did you know? Well, John Locke would say, well, it's the natural law that God has loaded into all of us and into everything. And it's based on John Locke's thinking that our founding fathers realized you could build a society not based on people exercising power over each other or the, the whims and will of the majority. You could build a society that's beholden to the law of God as the natural law, and then all of that society's authority and laws would flow from that. This was a big deal. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you philosophers, you're like, yeah, this sounds like a big deal. Some of you other people are like, well, how long before the pie? I, I get that, okay, but, uh, but here we're gonna keep going. America's founders didn't establish any of this, they just recognized it. Into a world where monarchy, power, hierarchy, dictatorship, conquest, serfdom, even slavery were accepted norms, here comes this bold new experiment. What if we leave that behind and treat people as equals? That wasn't easy to do. It wasn't like you could flip a switch and all of a sudden that happens. There was a whole bunch of mess. To work through to get to the place where we could say that, as Martin Luther King noted, our nation would live up to its founding creed of, of treating people as equals. Um, in that declaration, it says, it's talking about kind of like why the, why the U.S. states would even have the right to do this. Like, who are they to tell the king that they're going to leave the monarchy, leave, leave the, the empire? It says, well, to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which this would be the nation kind of becoming its own, the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. So here comes John Locke and a little bit of theology Right into the Declaration of Independence, right at the beginning of America, like the second sentence of what America was all about, the laws of nature and nature's God are where we're going to drive this idea that we have liberty and rights and truth, but it's not based on if you're more powerful than me, or if you're bigger or smarter, or you have a better gun than I do. Uh, no, this is based on something higher than humanity. Humanity. Notice they were appealing to something beyond human opinion, consensus, majority rule. They were appealing to natural and divine laws, which they said were obvious and self-evident. Okay, so natural law, we just talked about this, built on God's moral character, God's order for the universe. And you say, well, this sounds like a great theory, but is it in the Bible? So here here we are in Romans 1, okay? We're going to jump past a couple of the, oh, we can't jump past that. That's too important. All right, let's look at Romans 1. We'll go back to that. In Romans 1, verse 18, Paul starts to lay out a case why everyone needs the gospel, why everyone needs Jesus. And he's talking to the church at Rome. Some of them are Jews, some of them are Gentiles. The Jews had the laws of God, they had the Ten Commandments, they had all this truth that they could appeal to. The the Gentiles didn't have any of that, but he was saying whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you need the gospel, you need salvation. And his premise was that whether you have the law or you don't, you still need to be forgiven. You've still broken the law. Say, well, what law? Like if the people didn't even know about it, how are they accountable to it? So we read in verse 18, God chose his anger from heaven against all the sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So he says, just the fact that you can look up and you can see the creation around you, you know there's more going on than just you and your opinion. You know that there's, there's, there's some sort of structure, there's some sort of order. You, you, you don't have any excuse to say, oh, you know, I, I grew up in this world, I just had no idea there was anything bigger than just me. No, you know, you know in your heart, it's preloaded into you. You go over to Romans 2, and so that's, that's kind of you saying, like, out there to the world, there's nobody gets an excuse. And, and the, the, the Jewish person might say, well, like, we have the law, so we can actually read the Old Testament, we can see the commandments. But what about the guy that, like, didn't have any of that? What about the person that grew up and they never saw a Bible, they never met a Christian or a Jew or anybody that would tell them anything about divine law? Are they still guilty or do they get a pass because they never heard of any of this before? Okay, look at Romans chapter 2 and go down to verse, oh, we could read all this because it's all so great. Um, The uh, verse 12, let's look to verse 12. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. The Jews who do, not have God's, or who do have God's law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. So this happens to every one of you. Okay, so teens, think about this. You're, you're, you're out in Berrien Springs. You're wandering around. You just picked up a Coke at the gas station or something. You're walking across the street. And here comes a very sweet little old lady walking across the street. And you realize that she might need some help. Her groceries spill all over. Man, if you just like run right past her, maybe even laugh a little, are you going to feel good after that or a little bit guilty? You're going to feel a little bit guilty, right? Why is that? Your thoughts are going to accuse you that you are a total loser for doing that, right? And your thoughts are going to be right because your thoughts are based on your loaded in conscience that says, man, when something like that happens in front of you, you got to take some action, Right? Now let's say the same thing happens and you see the person spilling their groceries and you run up and you help and she's like oh what a wonderful young person you're helping me and you get that little lady across the street and, and now she's, she's off and you, you, you stand up and you walk the rest of the way Are, you're walking a little taller you're feeling good about yourself you burst into your house you're like mom I did a good deed today you'll never believe it she's like you're right I would, I would never believe that but, but here, and, and so you tell her and you feel great why do you feel great? because you know in your heart that that was right. There's, there's things that are built into you that are right and wrong, and you know if they're right or wrong, even if no one tells you or there's no sign that says this was right or wrong. That's your conscience. That's what God has loaded into you. It's the moral code. It's actually the natural law that's already in your mind, and you know when things are right or wrong. So, so here's what's amazing about this. The natural law, you don't just have to look out at nature. You're not like studying the mountains or something. Go, Oh, I see moral principle there. No, this is built into you. There's law to follow. Okay, so here's here's some questions we could ask. Um, William Blackstone was another one of the thinkers that kind of gave birth to all these ideas just before the founding of America. He said the law of nature being the same origin of mankind and dictated by God himself is of course superior in obligation to any other. It's binding over the globe all countries, all times. No human laws are of any validity if they're contrary to this. And such of them that are valid, they derive their force and authority from this original. So, so here's, here's Blackstone saying that the law that is inside you, the law that God has given you, that's where, the, that's where the power of law comes from. That's where innocence or guilt is felt. Okay, So you can kind of like test this out. Think about the Declaration of Independence. Uh, some of the premises in the declaration, if we just form them as questions, will, will appeal to natural law, just your own conscience. Say, is this, is this true? Like, is the law written in your heart? That if everybody's created equal, that all people should have a say in who leads them and how they're governed. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's rational, right? That every person has their own intrinsic right to life, that no one should deprive them of this right other than if the, the creator who granted it. Yeah that, that kind of that sort of sounds right, that each person has a, a right to liberty and a right to pursue happiness, like they have a right to guide their own steps forward without some king telling them what to do, uh, that human beings, since they exist beyond earthly associations and bonds, have rights that transcend the courts or opinions or whatever, uh, that governments don't grant rights, but instead they should exist to protect them. So what the founders were doing is they were saying, well, natural law tells us the answers to all these questions are yes. That's the way things ought to work, and we know it. We don't need a sign. We don't need even a chapter and verse to tell us. It's just we know it. Uh, it's in our conscience. And so if, if the, the question is why do we know and how do we know, and that's when we look in Romans 1 and we go, ah, there it is. God has written his law on our hearts. God has, God has put it in creation. It's evident. It's obvious. And in your own heart, it's evident and obvious. And so on that basis now, we start moving forward as a society, not saying, well, let's, let's vote. Like, is stealing wrong? What about stealing that kid's bike? Is that wrong? No, we don't have to do that. Because we know it's wrong. And, we don't, and, and so it's not an issue of vote. It's an, it's an issue of that we understand what the natural law tells us, and we hold one another accountable to that. Okay, so the American reset that we're talking about, last week we talked about how it starts with our identity. We realize we're children of God. He made us for a purpose. When we reset that purpose, that's kind of when we see how these rights that God has given us play into what we're going to do next in our lives. Your personhood and your purpose are defined by God, not by you or your government or your people group, and that's why this is so important. So I just want to leave you with this, just, just a challenge about your purpose in life. Okay, and how this all fits together, not as an American idea, but as a human idea. And these aren't just American rights, these are human rights. What's really sad, by the way, to look out in the world is when they talk about human rights, a lot of times they're undermining the very premise of where human rights would come from, which is the natural law given to us by the Creator. So the first, pre- the first premise, we're owned by God. Psalm 24 says, "Why everything in the earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything in the earth and all who dwell in it belong to God. So you you do have an owner. Your owner is God. The government doesn't own you. Some slave master doesn't own you. The king doesn't own you. God owns you. And when you see that, then you understand in the the American Revolution, they're holding up flags that one of the flags they'd hold up said, no king but King Jesus. What were they meaning? I mean, it wasn't just a slogan. This is what they meant. Um, so you, you, I, I put down in the corner for those of you who like being revolution, a few like revolutionary little extras here. We're not owned by our government or masters. You go yes, amen to that. Uh, here's the next premise about discovering our purpose. We're made to reflect and imitate God. So you're made in God's image. Ephesians says you should imitate God in everything you do. You, you live a life filled with love because that's who, how God has shown you love. You follow Him into that. And so you're not designed just to serve earthly monarchs. Your purpose in life is way bigger than any earthly structure. Okay, the third one is we're responsible and accountable to God for our lives. Okay, so so it's your accountability is to heaven. It's not to try to make the government happy with you or some committee somewhere. Wow, it's, it's that God has given you a life. God has given you the spark. He's given you a soul. And one day you stand before him. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, when he he went through all these different experiments to try to find the purpose of life, what would be fulfilling, what would make sense, and he tried everything he could. And at the end of the book, Ecclesiastes 12, uh, he says, Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For everyone will stand before God and give an account, even to the secret things, whether they're good or bad. So, so here's, here's this, you know, somebody who explored every possible way to live says the only thing that really makes sense is if you see your life as a part of something bigger than this earth, everything on earth, if that's all you're living for, it ends up being meaningless. It ends up passing away in the sands of time. But if you live your life for eternity, if you live your life with accountability toward God, then everything you do ends up mattering in the end. Okay, and then here's the last piece. God has aims for us, moral and missional, that define our daily purpose. It's interesting, back in that quote from John Locke, he mentioned that we're God's handiwork, or we're God's workmanship. say, where did that come from? Well, the theory is, he actually got this right out of the Bible. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so, here you are, living your life, Thankfully, in a place that gives you freedom, freedom to do what? Just whatever you want? Well, No, that's not your mission. That's not your purpose. It's freedom to live out the purpose that God has put into you. And so, so for you and for me, As Americans today, we would say, wow, thank you, Lord, for giving me a society that's protecting my right to move forward in this way, but I don't want to squander that. I don't want to waste that, and I don't want to presume that that'll always be that way. But rather, every day that I wake up in freedom, I want to maximize it, not for my pleasure, my material gain, my own glory. Instead, I want to maximize it to fulfill God's purpose for my life. And to me, that's the the big piece here of when when we say, wow, we're so grateful for the rights that are granted to us by God, that are recognized in our founding documents, it's not just about politics or economics. It's about your soul being free to follow God. It's about you fulfilling the purpose of your life. All right, America's often called the land of opportunity, and this is about you living this way. And that's really why most of our ancestors ended up here. You go back in your family tree, someone somewhere came from somewhere else to end up here, for most of us, right? And and why did they come? It's because they wanted freedom, religious freedom, economic freedom, political freedom, so that they could live out the purpose of their lives, not having to be beholden to some monarch somewhere. Um, And the same thing is true today. Like, you have it in your hands. You have freedom. What will you do with it? Okay, so questions for today. Lord, am I fulfilling my purpose in life, your purpose in life that you've given me? And Lord, am I honoring the law you've set forth in nature, your word, and in my own conscience? And then here's the key question that I, I hope you'll remember and maybe pray about today. Lord, am I maximizing the freedom I have here in America, living my divine purpose out to the max? God has given you an incredible opportunity to do just that. So let's pray. Let's ask Him for the courage, for the humility. And for the willingness to go ahead and step forward and not not squander our American freedom, but use it for the purpose for which we have it. So, Lord, we're so thankful, so thankful for what you've given us. We're thankful for a heritage of freedom that has come before us. Lord, even for some of these old-time philosophers that helped our founding fathers figure out how to structure the society around people being equals and people being subject to you instead of to just earthly kings and authorities. Lord, we know that's a part of our heritage, and now we look into the future and we say, will that last? What will happen next? I pray that you would help us, first and foremost, to live our purpose in life, to hear the voice of what your word is telling us, And also to hear the testimony of creation and our own consciences inside of us. Lord, help us to follow your truth. I pray that you would give us a different attitude about our rights. That rather than claiming them and angrily waving them in front of other people, that we would be humbly grateful for the rights that you have loaded into us as human beings. Lord, that we would use those rights to life and liberty and to pursue happiness. Lord, that we would use those freedoms that are protected by our governing structure right now to do what we're supposed to do with our lives, to live for you. Lord, I think of that verse that says that we're to live as free people, but not use freedom as a cover up for evil, instead, to live as your servants. And so today, Lord, I know I want to rededicate myself to that purpose, to serve you with whatever I have in my life, whether I live under freedom or tyranny, with riches or poverty, whatever might be around me, I want, I want, my, I want your purpose in my life. Um, and Lord, today, we just, we want to thank you for what America means and the great gift that we have in freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name.